Hey guys, if you want updates on our latest episodes, then be sure to subscribe to the Film Colossus podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, if you'd like to support the show and hear episodes ad-free, then subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmcolossus. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we navigate through the insane terrain of Oliver Stone's masterpiece, Any Given Sunday. We observe how perhaps the greatest football movie ever made actually serves as a metaphor for America's story, for the angst and isolation that results from generational differences and constant change. Hut, hut, hike! <laughs> Chris, I know you're a, a fan of what they call overseas football. I know you, you played a little soccer in your day, but did you ever actually play the American version of football? <laughs> uh, no. Otherwise, I would have known to do something like red 82, blue 74, bronco, or, bronco. Hey, red 666. Oh, yeah. Red 666. Uh, no, you know, I um, I wanted to. I used to play backyard football with my friends a lot. Mm. And I played Madden all the time, like starting with Madden 94 as a kid. Uh, loved the Madden games. Did you and play the, Backyard Football, the spinoff of the Backyard Baseball franchise? I never played either of the Backyard video games. Oh, wow. Okay. I know. I know, I know people have a soft spot for Backyard Baseball. I have. I, I had football as well, so I, I enjoyed them both. <laughs> um, but, f- you know, I never played peewee football despite really liking it because I was always playing soccer around the same time though. I had friends that did both. I think, um, I, maybe my parents, they never expressed any concerns over <laughs> me playing football, but in middle school, I actually went to join the football team. Uh-huh. Uh, you were supposed to show up at 11 AM on a Saturday or something. And my mom dropped me off and I started walking to the front door and I got to the front door and got really nervous and turned around like the front door of the like yeah. the annex, uh, the weightlifting room where you're supposed to yeah. meet. And I turned around and got back in the car and went home. So Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know what it was that day. Like middle school me was like a little roly poly kid. Yeah. So I there's a place for you. That was a roly poly kid on a football team. I know. I know, but I was like worried about the locker room. I was, I was still like, I was still the kid at that point that would swim with my t-shirt on. Yeah, right. So you're I was still really... that kid. <laughs> still that kid. Well, that, I was that's really. Great. It's like seeing a unicorn where you see somebody with like a shirt on in the water. And I would wear a football jersey. Ironically, I would yeah, always wear I like see a, that. a Randy Moss jersey, a Jerry Rice jersey, uh, Barry Sanders jersey. So yeah, I got, uh, I got nervous about it and ran away. I played flag football in grade school. I've never been much of a football guy. Like, I don't even really like, I don't like watching football that much. Uh, 
<clears throat> but I did play flag football in, in grade school, and I think I was notoriously like the worst person on the team pretty much every time I played a sport besides tennis, <laughs> um, and that included my grade school flag football team. I was always just on the line, and I don't. I think I went because I you play in fourth and fifth grade. I think I went two years without doing anything of significance ever whatsoever. Uh, but once there was a game where like some kid was about to run in and score a touchdown that either would have put them ahead or tied, and we were the grade school that was undefeated. Like oh. we won every <laughs> single game. So like, and I. Just like the only time I ever did anything is I got this kid's flag as he was like running by and everyone like dogpiled me and it was a big, it was a big moment for me. That's awesome. That would have been a very special, like you went out, you went out at your peak, your flag football peak. Yeah. If your question is that that didn't give me the confidence to excel at all other sports. No, it did not. (laughs) It was a momentary lapse. (laughs) It did it make you a, a sycophant for attention. No, it, it it probably got me a couple pats on the back and maybe a free ice cream cone that night, but that's about it. Yeah, the ice cream cone for like the MVP. Whenever coaches would take us for ice cream after like <laughs> games and stuff, that was always the best. It's always a tricky proposition, though. Like I I worked at a the newspaper at my my college, so Southern Illinois University, and the the, the teacher beginning of each week would like highlight somebody that did well, and like it was just like a slow. <laughs> painful torture that like you weren't being called like throughout the year <laughs> uh, I think he did it he made a point of like getting everybody but sometimes you know you would go a few weeks without recognition and that's tough to do to kids yeah you're like please please I mean I was the kid that was always trying to answer all the questions in class and raise my hand right. and teachers would stop calling on me and that always hurt you're like the Hermione of your class I kind of was just way more annoying, I guess. And Professor Snape's just sitting up there trying to ignore you. Yeah, they were all pretty Snapey to me. I agree. Every teacher I ever had was Snape-like. Yeah, it just left a lot to be desired. You had a few McGonagall's in there, and they were nice. Yeah, but for the most part. For the most part. I remember one time I was in the office, like, standing at the counter, and there was a phone like that people would use to call home if you were sick or whatever. And a teacher walked in as I was waiting. So like I was already standing there and she walks up to the phone and makes a call. And this is my fourth grade science teacher, Mrs. Osugi. And she's like on the phone and she just goes, I'm really like, it's one more year and then I'm done. And I can't wait to be done. And just like, bitching to her husband about like Real teaching shit. us and she looks down at me and goes excuse me this is a private conversation wow because i was i guess within arm's length of her and it's like <laughs> you should have been like well your here. private conversation is about to go public yeah i'm gonna tell everybody i'm gonna <laughs> uh, this whole school is gonna know you show your little recorder that you got from the home alone franchise Look at this. Look at this, Mrs. Osugi. Um, okay, so any given Sunday, we oh, yeah. we both football. have limited football experience. Yeah, um, it, and I don't even like watching football, so this will be a great oh. episode. Yeah, I like watching football, but I'm a Cleveland yeah, sports I, I, fan, so I actually hate watching football. I was going to say that I feel like that's partly why you love this movie, because Jim Brown makes 
a few appearances in it. He does make a few appearances in it. You know, I, uh, you know, everybody from Cleveland's like very pro Jim Brown, though a bunch of like <laughs> bad stuff came out in recent years about Jim. Oh, Brown. really? I didn't. Know yeah, that. It just he. I don't. I didn't look deeply into it, but it was just. It seemed like he had a, a pretty rough private life in terms of how he was treating people. Um, yeah, it's hard to become that good at something and not turn into a monster. It happens to tons of people. It seems that there really is like correlation <laughs> between those two things. Uh, so I've never, I've never had like that big of a soft spot since I was too young to grow up watching. I kind of feel a little bit like uh, Willie Beeman, where it's just like those old guys. I don't care, but like I don't care about them. I care about like my time. Sure. Um, so there's a little bit of like, oh, it's Jim Brown, but not like that's our guy. Yeah, you're more of a. <clears throat> I think you you relate to uh, Willie Beeman in, in more ways than one. He, he very much has Chris energy. <laughs> there is some Chris energy, but also his uh, his descent into arrogance is so frustrating. Very Chris. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. How, <laughs> what were you going to say? You? <laughs> How dare you? You say that kind of thing to me on my podcast. Yeah. I mean, you can be, you're, you're definitely a Willie Beeman. I'm more of like whoever Aaron Eckhart's character is. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. Just like, I want to be Matthew the head Modine. coach. Yeah, Matthew Modine. I can see you as Matthew Modine. <laughs> just like all these people, or Elizabeth Berkeley, just like one of the, the three people I like from 90s movies. Yeah. Yeah, let's say you're the Elizabeth Berkeley of this movie. <laughs> I, I like that. <laughs> um, have, had you, have you watched a lot of other Oliver Stone movies? Yeah, I think I've seen... It's funny because he's not a director I would say I'm like super passionate about, but I feel like I've seen a good amount of his movies. Let's see. I can, uh, this is the beauty of letterbox, by the way, they make it very easy to like see the movies you've seen from a given director or whatever. Uh, let's see. Oliver Stone. Let's see what we got. I've never seen natural poor killers. Actually. I've, I've seen enough of it like on TV that I know what it's like, but okay. Let's see. Well, maybe not as many as I thought I've seen what platoon. I've seen wall street. Uh, I've seen Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps. I've seen W. Gosh, that's about it. I thought I had seen a lot more than that. You never saw Savages? I haven't, no. Feels like such a Travis movie. I. It's a movie It's always been kind of like, oh, I should watch that. Yeah, I hated it. Yeah, I, it doesn't strike me as a Chris kind of movie. <laughs> I was excited about it. The commercials I thought were like pretty good, or the trailer was pretty good, and then the movie itself was But it looks frustrating. like... It looks bad in quotes you know like yeah. <laughs> like that kind the movie of that kind of energy is all i'm saying like i feel like chris doesn't like this <laughs> chris chris is not a fan uh i didn't like P platoon um saw it a long time ago and i guess i remember enjoying it but i couldn't give an honest opinion about it yeah i felt the same way about it as i did heat where it's like i bet if i had watched this in the day that it came out or like the decade it came out, I would have liked it a lot more. But at this point, Platoon felt so by the numbers because so many movies have used a similar blueprint that it felt unoriginal to me. 
even if it was ahead of the curve back then <clears throat> to the point where like all the dramatic stuff happened in the big scene where the guy like has his hands in the air. Yeah. I, it just felt absolutely nothing towards it. I, I am looking at his filmography and I'm, I'm realizing that a lot of what I know his work from, because I may, maybe I haven't seen a lot of his movies, but I feel like I've seen enough of parts of his movies because I, I feel like Oliver Stone's aesthetic was influential in like very 90s. So maybe from like, you know, Natural Born Killers, The Doors, Born on Fourth of July, like this whole period where his movies start getting a similar aesthetic that feels very kinetic and has a lot of momentum. I feel like I know that a little bit more and I associate I think because of that, like, I feel like I just understand his aesthetic a little more than I just like know his movies outright. So I've never seen The Doors. I've never seen Natural Board Killers. But like I've seen several scenes from that movie, I feel like, that when I watch something like Any Given Sunday, I'm like, oh, I kind of understand like what he's going for and what his whole, like what he's trying to visualize, what he's saying and all that. And there's a very um, collage style. Mm-hmm to his filmmaking which you know we were talking before we started recording about like art museum films mm-hmm. and really like true art films experimental films that's and... the kinds of conversations we have off air yeah <laughs> just if you want to know how experimental know, film that you see at art museums highbrow we are and intellectually <laughs> proud yeah it, it, especially since that conversation consisted of us going like i don't get it <laughs> yeah right <laughs> like it's one of those things where it's like what is it instagram versus reality it's like on the podcast we talk about how we talked about experimental films at art museums and behind yeah. the scenes it's just like we don't really like those do we <laughs> huh, They're weird. that's weird <laughs> yeah. uh but it's a very collage style that i f- feel like ha- kind of has a foot in that realm of if you yeah. saw it in a <laughs> in a museum in an art installation and be like, yeah, this, this feels like an art installation film. I mean, a lot of his movies do feel like that. It's interesting. Like, you know, when I watch movies, I, the first thing I'm really looking for, not to sound like too pretentious, but like, you know, when I'm watching a movie, I'm looking to make some sort of connection and, and I want it to have an impact on me, no matter how like silly or name the movie might seem like I'm looking to be impacted by it. And as I'm watching Any Given Sunday, like I do, you know, at first you're kind of like, you feel a little assaulted by it. Like it's so kinetic and constant that you're like, you kind of have to find your footing with it at first. Um, but I did start to appreciate that collage style type of filmmaking and realizing like what it has to say on just a deeper emotional kind of intellectual level, like what what the series of images ultimately says about these people who are playing this sport. And um, th- that's just an interesting aspect of his aesthetic where, um, you know, we're talking about experimental films and in theaters. A lot of times an experimental film is just meant to convey a very specific emotion and is meant to just bring a sense, a visual sense to something that it's just felt within. It's it's what makes experimental mental films so difficult to <laughs> engage with and like get into. Um, but you're see, I feel like you are seeing that on a level here of any given Sunday. Like it is, it's just on in the plainest sense. It's meant to create a sense of being a part of this football team and what it's like to be in a football game. 
and what it's like to like work together on something like there's something more universal and profound about its insights that stem from these kind of surface level things we can see like collage style football like what is it really getting at and i think the more and more you watch this movie it just kind of reveals itself and the the bigger idea things it's getting into it definitely has a lot of bigger idea things that it's getting into um i'm before diving in yeah i feel like natural born killers i started a few years ago and never finished like back in like the Netflix send you a DVD era. Uh-huh. Um, and then Savages. That's it. I've never seen Wall Street or Wall oh, Street really? 2. I've never seen JFK. Um, I've always meant to watch Alexander the Director's Cut because people talk about that. Mm-hmm. One day. Yeah, Wall Street's, you know, it, it's, I, again, like it's, I think that existed even before Platoon maybe or right around the same time. Like, it, I, the way I think of Oliver Stone is m- kind of more of the Any Given Sunday. Like, even though I haven't seen many of those movies, like, I know I know what Natural Burn Killers is like. That, to me, reminds me of Any Given Sunday and just how electric it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, Any Given Sunday, this is your first watch. This is my, like, fourth watch. Okay. Um, I first saw it, I think, back in college. And I liked it, but it was also, like, that's a weird movie. Like that's a weird movie. What um, compelled you to watch this movie? You know, it was on TV. Okay. Uh, I remember I had a, like a little TV in my dorm and there was one night it was just on TV and I was going to go do something and I kept watching it and ended up just not going out that night because I wanted to see what yeah. happened in this movie. Um, it was that very, kind of movie. Yeah. It kind of just like caught me up in what was going on and the style of it and everything. Um, and then I rewatched it after college. I don't, I think it was maybe around like right before I got to, uh, Iowa and on the rewatch, I was just like, this thing's a masterpiece, isn't it? Hmm. So for the last 10 years, so maybe this is like time number three or four. Um, I've been operating with this as like, to me, kind of a, a, not a masterpiece. I think at this point, but like a very, very, very good film that's saying a lot and doing a lot through its aesthetic through its story that has a lot of layers that go beyond just like football right Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) um that make it i think really fascinating so it was nice to have to watch it again and come away with that having that depth that i thought it had and remember it having and still feeling like there's more things in there that even on my third or fourth watch that I'm like, there's a, there's a kernel there that I still have it fully like picked apart or popped into mm-hmm. popcorn. I don't know what the, what the yeah. extended metaphor is there, but they're big ideas that I feel pretty like good about, but there's still some little nuances in there that I'm like, this is still saying more than what I've even picked up on at this point. So there was a, a bit more appreciation on this watch, but also in some ways it didn't quite strike me as like the masterpiece that I thought it was, you know, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that happens with movies all the time. Like they hit you in the right moments and speak to you in some way. What's funny is like, I feel like this movie speaks to me in the moment I'm in right now. I, 
I, it's, it's, again, as somebody who doesn't really, is such a pretentious thing I'm about to say, but it's true and it's the best way I can describe it. Like, I'm not super interested in like the aesthetic of football. <laughs> like, I, I don't find it a visually pleasing sport. Like, sometimes I find it kind of boring and the point of it is like less interesting to me than like say a baseball game which is a sport everybody thinks is boring or like a tennis <laughs> match another sport everyone doesn't like to watch um there's something about the energy of that kind of sport that i get into a little bit more that i've always found football really tough to penetrate i kind of like watching it with groups of people like that's always fun but i've never been able to just like sit down and watch football with that said though i did enjoy watching this movie and my wife had a comment of like, this is the most interested in football I've ever been, you know, <laughs> uh, just the kind of like those fucking beautiful shots. It happens a few times in this movie where, you know, Willie throws the ball and you're just like watching the ball spiral towards the camera. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel like I've never seen that before. <laughs> it's like <laughs> slowed down like that. It was just so pretty. Uh, but there were just so many moments like that where like I'm way into it, but beyond that it kind of made me appreciate the aesthetic you know the point of football a little bit more in the sense that um like any sport it is just a group of people trying to achieve something singular um all pushing forward and relying on each other um so obviously the the script and the characters they all convey that but to me more what this movie is about is the way it's conveyed visually and how Oliver Stone's aesthetic, the way he's kind of maneuvering these games, the way it's really pronouncing all of these relationships and dynamics we've gotten to know and understand and how it's like actually adding to that and strengthening those things. And um, it, it it spoke to me in that sense, because like to me, the, the movie, then you can kind of blow it up to a larger level. Like it's not just football. Like, you know, you do this with your family union. You do it with any cause or ideology you're a part of that you're pushing and like trying to make known it's it just has a it it's very applicable that way into me and i i saw the universality of it as as i was like into you know the, the actual style of filmmaking that was going on one two three four those are numbers but you already knew that if you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car use kelly blue book my wallet on auto trader they're really good at numbers <laughs> Auto Trader. Yeah, I mean, the thing that jumps out to me is it almost feels like Oliver Stone. He's such a political filmmaker. Yeah, right. That it almost feels, it doesn't even almost feel, I really think he's making a commentary on America itself through football. Right. Which is really fascinating in terms of like race dynamics, changes in culture, like shifts in uh, like old versus new mentalities that go into not just like the team sport, but the country as a whole. That's really fascinating to me for this movie to kind of operate on that conversation between the present and the historical, especially in the way that you get the flashbacks to older players, the crowd. I, I laugh so hard and find such an, it's such an amazing bit of dialogue when Al Pacino's <laughs> trying to, talk to Willie about uh his dad and he's just like you know if you ever want to talk about like losing somebody you know I lost my dad world war ii yeah and it's just like the divide between <laughs> Al Pacino's character losing a parent in world war ii yeah versus Willie Beeman <laughs> and everything he's about with his cd player and style and 
the music he listens to trying to talk about jazz versus hip hop. There's such like a cultural clash between the two of them that feels very much like a, a reckoning of baby boomers and whatever was before gen X with gen X like and gen Y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think you're totally right that knowing that about Oliver Stone does improve your insight into something like that, but <clears throat> it's, he's not exactly hiding it in parts of the movie either. Like Willie Beeman's pretty open about, Oh yeah, race There's and a whole football. Speech. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's it's a part of the movie enough where like you can see that it, it is bigger than football. It's about you know, and you're pointing it out like having all of these different generations. Like that's such a pronounced theme of the movie. You know, these different generations kind of clashing to still. That's just um, reflective of real life. People from different generations might have different goals or ideologies about how to get somewhere but we all know where we want to get like yeah we want to improve we want to get better um so it is like it does feel like an encapsulation of that struggle like a visualization of it through football which is badass um and like it's football so like everyone has one goal on a football team like you want to win you want to drive down the 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 field and get into the end zone it's it's just really cool how that all kind of coalesces without despite like the themes being very apparent and kind of outrightly stated, it isn't necessarily obvious that yeah. the movie's doing that, you know, like it's just part of it. Yeah. And there's a lot of it going on, like with Beeman's character and even with Pacino being a foil is we're talking with like the country aspect or the, the, the historical versus the present or the past versus the present. There's a whole personal level to his journey. There's something about him rediscovering his spark and his fire in the modern times. And what's it mean to kind of catch up to that Mm -hmm. when the systems around you feel like they're like throttling you. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very fascinating to me, all of the nuance of that and the navigation of that and, the characters throughout them like i love so many of the characters in this movie and how developed they are it's a long ass movie which i know <laughs> uh you tend to prefer shorter movies these days but i like as i was watching i was just like travis has to be loving i sent you that text at like four uh-huh. in the morning that was like you have to love i like i refuse to believe you wouldn't love every single like minute yeah. of the style of this movie the characterization like the fact that Cameron Diaz's character has such a an arc in this movie where I feel like in any other movie by any other filmmaker that's just like your typical 90 minutes or even two hours, her character has so much less to do and is underwritten, underdeveloped, where a film like this under Stone with this runtime really gives her character an importance and a heft and a weight Right. That's really necessary in terms of just the the foil between her and Tony and uh, uh, Willie. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily that I enjoy a shorter movie more. Like, um, I just think there's a correlation here that I appreciate efficiency in a movie and a shorter movie is more likely to be efficient. Like, it's tough to be efficient in a long movie and to convey a lot of information without feeling like you're 
being indulgent or lingering on something unnecessary that isn't contributing to like what's important. Um, I don't think that's the case in this movie. Like that, that's m much more what I'm concerned about is like, if you're two hours and 40 minutes long, like how do you say smart things the entire time? You know, how do you keep me interested the entire time? Um, because it's one thing to like have a well-written character, like technically maybe some Cameron Diaz's character could have everything on the script on page that like develops her character well. And like, there's enough information there. She has enough of the running time there for, for her character to be technically developed. But if the movie's boring, <laughs> if the actress is bad, um, you know, there are all these things that can happen that can disrupt the moment. Again, it's all part of the aesthetic. It's, it's being able to visually capture your ideas and convey them in a way that like arrests me and like sucks me into what's happening. It's that's my whole point about not to keep shitting on Damien Chazelle, but it seems like I have to do it once an episode <laughs> and our discussion of whether or not like Margot Robbie deserves an, an Oscar nomination for her role in the movie. Like the only reason I can't get behind something like that is like, I don't think her character is well done. Like I, I think the movie like has so many lapses and so many um, redundant things happen and, and uninteresting bits of insight that like, to me that all contributes to like, how good of a character I think she's actually playing. Like, so it, when you look at something like Navian Sunday and I'm looking at Cameron Diaz, like the way Oliver Stone is capturing this football team and where they are all heading together as a unit. And then within that, what role Cameron Diaz's character plays? How is that? How is her a, how is her character developed and B, like, what does it say in relation to literally everybody else? Like all that stuff needs to be working at all times. And it doesn't help that, like, you never get, or I don't anyway, ever get sick of Stone's aesthetic, his, like, fucking 100 mile an hour out of control, like, movement forward. Like, it all, to me, is always working. So that helps with the character. And that's usually the problem I have with longer movies is, like, they rarely can sustain me as long as this movie does. Yeah. And this movie does do that. Yeah. Completely. It's, I mean, and it, that, that, that's that's tough to accomplish. Like it never feels boring to me, you know? No, I, I love, it's one of my favorite scenes. I always remember it being like a little more towards like the end, but it's very much in the middle or even like first third. But when, uh, Willie goes over to Tony's house for dinner, which <laughs> was that even dinner lunch for a meal the jambalaya. Yeah. The jambalaya. And that conversation, that whole ideology, <clears throat> ideological conversation Mm. with the filmmaking at that point and the edits, the cuts, the gladiator stuff that's going on yeah. the whole time that they're talking. So cool. It's so cool. That's when I was watching. I was like, there's no way that Travis doesn't just watch this and go like, yes, yes. Hell yeah. yeah yes. Like thank it. you. <laughs> For sure. I, uh, I, th there's also just like this. It's funny. This came out in 1999, which is the year Magnolia came out and like probably the movie it most reminded me of. Oh Yeah. And there's just like a certain, a lot of movies had this kind of feel back then. And again, it's a lost art to, <laughs> to be that electric, electric with your storytelling. Like if you have lots of characters, like having a sense of like, it's important to like have music constantly playing underneath <laughs> and to have like edits and like weird little visual montages thrown together over people speaking. Like it's kind of a lost art that was such more of a thing back in 1999. 
Yeah, just the little. Uh, it strikes me as almost a little more novelly. I don't want to say literary because I feel like mm-hmm. literary maybe sounds the wrong way with it, mm-hmm. but it definitely has some of the interiority that a novel has or the ability to use metaphor in a way a novel has where you can use right. like and as in a film, which you don't get a lot of that because the film is just showing you an objective thing unless yes. it's cutting to something or being kind of goofy or cute with it. So a lot of the times that a film can be more like literary in quotes by using visual metaphors, it's something in like Scott Pilgrim where it's such Mm -hmm. an intrusion from the singular character's point of view rather than something that's a little more from an objective narrator or objective speaker. Uh, You have to like go the route of fight club to make that happen. I feel like recently the only recent movie I've seen that did that was Lucy um yeah i've always wanted to rewatch lucy i hated it but i liked that uh the story was really bad to me but it's yeah the the filmmaking aspect and the the way in which it used these visual cut-ins uh to create metaphors throughout was very fascinating but yeah you don't get that much of that anymore where yeah luke passan that just seems more of his like tendency i i do think of someone like gaspar noe who like he it, maybe not specifically what you're describing like these things that serve as like obvious visual metaphors but his movies always have a certain consistency to them like a certain gimmick that he has going that is like oh this means this by the way like all of um god what was the movie he just did that um i don't know why i'm blanking oh vortex where the whole movie is just split screen the entire oh. movie and like <laughs> you're just following like this old man in a, in his life and this old woman in her life and like the woman's like slowly losing her mind and the guy's like trying to like hang on to his career and like make a statement like the parallels are kind of obvious in a sense but also i guess i find that exciting like i i guess stuff can be like too obvious in a boring way but um it's your ability to like take that whatever gimmick you're using and and build on it and say something smart with it which you know that's what a lot of those film kind of filmmakers do really well and obviously Elverstone did it really well here yeah like fantastic use of style throughout the film and then I always forget whenever I go back to it just how much time is given to each of the characters yeah and how good the arcs are i just james woods and matthew modine having like a whole mini movie between them is really fascinating and that shot of matthew modine near the end where you see him talking to the cheerleader i know lauren my wife pointed that out and i was like i don't even remember that happening but i was like that but that makes sense and that's funny to me yeah, it's just like a quick moment uh, during the the playoff game where he finally gives the shots um, to Shark. When Shark's yeah. just like, can I have this? She's like, you don't need it. And he's like, you know, give it to me. Yeah. And then shortly after that, you see uh, Modine's character talking with one of the cheerleaders, just being the new James Woods. Tisk, tisk, tisk. I know. He was so high and mighty. And then... Uh, um. That's one of my favorite parts of this movie. But even the fact that like Lawrence Taylor, would you know that that's actually 
like NFL Hall of Famer Lawrence Taylor playing Shark, hmm. the best defensive player ever at the point that he was playing. Um, Again, I know very little about football. I don't never even heard of this guy. Oh, he was. If you go to YouTube and you look up Lawrence Taylor highlights, uh-huh. he was a fucking monster. He just was one of the best players of all time and completely changed how defense is played in the NFL. He's um, a good actor, too. That was his first time acting. Yeah, I, I enjoyed him. He does such a good job, which I it also feel very about. honest, like like he's not necessarily somebody trained in acting that kind of acting you know right but he still manages to have like the mood shifts between scenes you see some like (laughs) especially in sports movies you see some people come in for a line and they're just like hey kid oh yeah maybe better luck next time and you're like okay brett far brett far why is that the name that i went with uh tom brady was in 80 for brady and he had a moment like that yeah where it's just like painful and lawrence taylor's like doing stuff like he is good in this yeah it feels honest yeah i mean just the dynamics with like lo cool j and willie i think the one thing that was kind of like that's just a little weak to me is the time frame over which like this takes place and they get into it a little bit with beeman where he was going to be a top draft pick had some issues that caused him to fall, then had a shoulder injury. So he's been steaming in the way that he's been angry about what's happened to his career for a long time. Mm-hmm. So that uh, that doesn't invoke, but that explains some of why he's so egotistical and entitled so quickly um because he felt like he was owed this for so long and that this should have been his life the entire time but it is funny that he goes from just like not quite aw shucks but i'm gonna throw up on the field like i'm an okay the best runner in this movie yeah down to earth guy to just being complete like a complete arrogant monster in the course of three weeks yeah that's great there's him throwing up make cracking me up yeah, the throwing up with over the course of the movie again and again was funny. I just, I do have to suspend a little bit of disbelief in the fact that like things move that quickly with him. But that also, I think, is probably part of the commentary as well, that these things can move quickly and you really see the way in which people change fast when they get this attention and this notoriety and the way in which it just kind of... Uh, hits them and affects them i think you definitely have to suspend your disbelief because only three four games go by at the end of the season like he's on the cover of a bunch of magazines like it doesn't go that quick um but yeah i i think him because as you noted like everybody in this movie gets so much time there isn't necessarily a main character but he is kind of the piece guiding in my mind a lot of the movie i think the movie ends with him just standing there all alone and i thought that was a really powerful moment it reminded me of um i feel like we've talked about this a little bit and i I take any chance i can get to highlight westerns on this show and anywhere i'm taking up space uh and how much i enjoy the aesthetic of a western and the isolation it depicts the lonesomeness and how that's an how, how similar that feels to just growing up 
in the in America in a world in this world in any society like this big push we all have together towards building something like you are just by yourself and you could often feel isolated and like unheard and unsure of yourself and not sure how you're contributing or where you're going to go and I feel like his presence really conveys that really well as somebody who you know does have a chip on his shoulder that feels behind that feels he's owed like I, I can see a lot of the energies I see and just the anxieties you see in people every day and like trying to make it in this world and and to have an impact like he just kind of exudes that he just basically becomes like the common man in a way in this movie and he has his moments and this moment at the end where he's kind of alone and he's like the doctor said like my shoulder is separated and he turns around and no one's there like to me yeah. that was such a specific feeling it was evoking and speaking to this feeling we can all share and feeling like you don't know which way is forward you don't know what's next and how scary that is and um it's again that is just part of the movie's aesthetic like all of these people working together towards something like every individual person is occupied by that specific feeling at some point you know and the fact of there's something there's something very fascinating about the tension there because you need all these people to work together to accomplish something uh, whether it's on the football team or in a company in a family in a country right mm -hmm. but as much as everybody was preaching about buying in and taking that inch like every inch and knowing that the people around you are also going to fight for that inch at the end after Beeman has like bought in made himself vulnerable and really feels connected to Tony and the team and everything that moment where he is left alone almost speaks to the fact of how much the machine does use these people and spit them out, whether it's intentional or not. I mean, we saw with shark, we saw with uh cap that it's often intentional the way in right. which they spit them out. So it wasn't quite that way with uh Beeman at the end, but there's still something there about like he had this time to shine and bright, but already he's, having this hesitation he's having this injury he might not reach that same height again because his shoulders still damaged is he going to continue to play at a high level and what will the machine do to him when he no longer is steaming willie beeman yeah it's very it's a very full moment because there are the positives of it but then also the fears of it, then like the glass half empty view of it. I love, I love that that the movie builds to that and like concludes in quotes. There, you saw, you saw mm -hmm. the the scenes in the in the credits, right? Of course, I did. Okay, okay. <laughs> Which I thought um, was an interesting twist to it that like it it kind of continued the narrative in a little in a way like that. Pacino, this older generation who's on his way out, is suddenly connecting with Be Willie Beeman and is like is going to help him propel forward. That I feel like there's some sort of commentary there of like you know we can work together, we can do it. Yeah, that they're like they managed to find the common ground that they needed, and he's going to go be in this expansion team, and Beeman's going to be a starting quarterback. I always 
the last time I saw the movie, I did come away with like a little more of a glass half empty view of the end because the last thing we do hear Willie say <laughs> is that his shoulder's bothering him. Right. And then they get crushed in the championship game. Yeah. Not like not like the actual Pantheon Bowl game, but the just yeah. the division <clears throat> championship. Um so it makes you wonder how healthy is Willie's shoulder going to be, which also means how successful is uh Pacino going to be in New Mexico and it makes you wonder is there a little bit of a a bittersweet or even tragic quality to that ending where he thinks he's coming out on top and he thinks he's going to go have this like bold next chapter but we know that he might not be up for it and that Beeman's shoulder might not be up for it and if you're viewing that in that like glass half empty view what's that say versus the glass half full view of you know they connected they're going on to this next thing and like good for them yeah i feel like it's just uh, my reading of it was it's almost beyond any of that like it's not even a half full half empty kind of thing it's like you got a fucking glass and you got to fill it up like (laughs) like it's to me this movie and maybe this actually speaks to why the really short time frame helps ultimately what it's saying helps its commentary that it's capturing a very specific moment in these people's lives and something like very specific they it doesn't matter that they we don't need to see any more games after the last game we saw because that was the important game like they finally learned to work together like something was achieved like a catharsis was achieved in this moment and but it's also just one moment after this moment's done time to step forward and start the next one like it's reflective of life in that way and how you just kind of piece it together and like it's always tough (laughs) doesn't matter if if your shoulder hurts like that was then like now you have to move forward and like figure out your shoulder um it's so i guess like i definitely don't feel it view it as a glass half empty kind of thing of more of just this is the next step you know it's i feel like that's just something you have to learn about life that i feel like i've come to understand a little bit more lately like especially with having a kid and feeling like you don't have any time to do anything like well that's kind of how it is like (laughs) you don't have time to do everything and like shit rarely goes the way you want it to but um the important thing is that you keep moving forward and you keep trying to achieve something bigger than yourself you know yeah oh one thousand percent the circumstances are never going to be perfect yeah uh did you gasp when cap's <laughs> wife smacked him oh yeah that was you know yeah i did i had an audible gasp and <laughs> the neighbor called to make sure it was okay um i was very surprised by that moment though because <laughs> like i did i did kind of like i might have been like open jawed like whoa like b- less of like that she smacked him but more of like man like does this woman have like an ounce of love for this man like (laughs) i'm sitting here like i had to like rack my brain in the movie and be like have they had a good relationship i'm like i feel like they've had a nice loving relationship but like in this moment this woman feels like a cold ruthless (laughs) like she doesn't feel like she cares about this guy at all and i just found that moment very shocking yeah i mean his i really like what they do with cap's character in the sense that he's very much this, you know, all-American, uh, prototypical 
character, like what right. you think about when you think He's about a like a quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. And to have him really represent that old guard that goes out, but also wrestling with his own <clears throat> masculinity in that way. Mm-hmm. What's it mean that he has to get up that they won't bring the stretcher for him when he has a back injury because he'll look like a pussy. Like, yeah, the fact that he has to struggle up because he's baited into that and how that's not good for him. The way that he rushes back because everybody's gassing him up and that conversation where he tries to retire and Tony won't let him yeah, is so brutal. And to follow that up with his wife, then like challenging his masculinity and her identity. I do think that they had a good relationship. It's just, she identified so strongly as the wife of a football star that when that was threatened, she challenges him the same way that the rest of the culture challenges him. It's such a fascinating look at masculinity in not just the sport, but in this country as a whole that I really like that talking point. Mm. And I do like how he rises, like his whole arc in that final first half is kind of inspiring and it does feel like you know mufasa (laughs) in some ways just like doing everything that he can for like the people that he cares about at the cost of like what it's doing to him physically but the way that that then inspires willie because he sees the effort that cap's given but then how unfair it is to demand that for from cap because it's Mm. actually his health for a single game but then james wood's speech about everything to where like he's a piece of shit but he's also making some points about the fact that this is what these guys sign up for and i don't need to ask them because i know the answer and it's like you have shark contrasting cap (sighs) right yeah no and again like a lot of what you're saying which is just what makes this movie so impressive. Like it's saying a lot at once. Like there's so many talking points in what you just said. And the big centerpiece of it being just football as a sport, like what it does to the mind and the body and the kind of culture it inspires, like, you know, toxic masculinity. That was just one thing I really appreciate about this movie is the conversation in it felt so before it's time like i think a lot of those talking points is like very modern discussions that have gained traction recently but like it's calling out like the brutal physical undertaking these guys you know take on in in football it's discussing like the kind of man you have to be in football like there's just an element of it that feels so penetrative into something very widespread and um, s- that signals the kind of culture we have and the kind of things we're still wrestling with and trying to uh, fix and like um, just put less pressure on men to be men, like that kind of thing. It's just really cool how the movie's like handling all that again without being too obvious. Like, oh, this is what the movie's saying. Like, it's just kind of part of the movie's rhythm and DNA, you know, it just becomes part of these people's lives and we're just seeing it all play out. Yep. Yep. Uh, what was the other thing that came up in there that I wanted to ask you about? Um, 
I'm blanking at the moment, but what was just your favorite scene in general? Um, man, favorite scene. I do, I do think the jambalaya scene is pretty fantastic. Um, the, I, I guess I would say just the whole last game is like such a great scene and how we transition from cap to Willie Beeman and, and we're seeing that shift in the team together, like realizing that like it's time to step forward. Like it's time for Willie to step up and like be the leader, just all the dynamics coming together. So seamlessly and effortlessly, effortlessly at the end and like finding resolve and catharsis. It was all just beautifully done. And again, the shot of that football flying at the camera. I mean, there's a few of those in that final game and I enjoyed watching that. Yeah. The football flying towards the camera, just always, always a beautiful thing. I I would pay, I would watch football if that's the kind of angle I'm getting on the sport. <laughs> yeah. If you watch the highlights sometimes, uh, <laughs> I do mostly just watch through. highlights of sports. These baseball is the only, I mean, I don't watch a lot of baseball actually cause I don't pay for it and I don't have time to watch it, but even like tennis, I'm like, I'm not going to sit down and watch a three and a half hour tennis match. Like I'll just watch the highlights on YouTube. Yeah. For NFL games, I'll watch the Browns games, but I watch the, like the 10 to 12 minute game recap on mm-hmm. YouTube, uh, which is really nice. And then for baseball, I have games on, but yeah, um, T-Mobile, you get MLB uh, TV for free. I think that's the beauty of baseball is you kind of can just have it on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, any part of the movie you didn't like? The only thing I I wondered about that that kind of struck me, and I, I don't even know if I necessarily think it's a bad part of the movie, but again, shocked that this woman smacks her husband across the face. But then the moment where he is, he looks kind of shaken up on the field. And she has a reaction to him of like, oh, like what happened? Like, I, I felt like something more should have happened there. Like they should have had like one more scene to get. Like, I don't know what it was, but I was like, I feel like I need some sort of resolve between these two that completes a commentary that the movie has that never, it, it just never happens, you know? Uh, yeah, I can see that. I took it as her kind of having an awareness of just like, oh yeah, I did. I'm part of the problem and like he really was hurting, wasn't he? This wasn't yeah. just him like being afraid. And I, I definitely think that's what it's conveying. I just like I wanted more. Like I wanted it to hit a little harder. Yeah. That's usually like my my I know. <laughs> my line. <laughs> that's what I thought. I was like I was like, I feel like Chris is gonna have the same complaint. I don't know. Uh I don't mind it that much. I think with it being as much of a, a subplot as it is that right we get kind of the main beats that we need and can fill in the blanks on some of the rest. Yeah. But yeah, that's it's totally not a huge how you problem feel. to me. Yeah. On the whole, like I was more shocked about the decline of Willie's relationship with Vanessa. <laughs> you, you, you didn't like that. You're saying, uh, it was just like so fast where they had been together oh, for, right. what did she say? Like six or seven years. Right. And that one fight, he just escalated. Like the way that they start talking to each other, yeah. At that one fight, I'm like, you cut into a fight, pretty much. Yeah, if I was like with somebody for six or seven years, I don't think I would just 
I could immediately start like start name calling the way that they were name calling each other. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty surprising. But it's just to me the movie being efficient and like keeping things going. Yeah. So. Um yeah, I think my my whole thing is just like how quick especially in 1999 uh things moved for willie which i get like getting on the cover of a sports magazine like does it take long getting like a sponsorship especially when you're in miami and they had won the cup a few years before or like the super bowl equivalent a few years before so it's like a major market with like one of the top teams in the country so i get why the attention would be as intense as it was but it always feels like just a little a little uh quick mm-hmm. but one thing that i do really like is that this movie came out in 1999 michael vick didn't appear in the nfl until 2001 huh. and before him you didn't have like the willie beeman prototype you had randall cunningham who was a like a black quarterback who was very mobile and throwing and was kind of like electric on the field but that was a lot of the like 80s and early 90s so the kind of figure that Willie Beeman embodies yeah you don't see in the NFL and yet this movie came out 2 years before Michael Vick then was Willie Beeman of the NFL coming in and having that electric play style being able to run i guess cordell stewart uh was a quarterback at that time and had some big run plays like this um so maybe that was a little bit of the the impetus for it it's just it's funny how immediately after this movie there was a shift in the nfl to quarterbacks like michael vick that were very mobile and could throw. And now we see that many of the best quarterbacks in the NFL are in this mobile style, whether it's, you know, Mahomes or uh, I keep wanting to call him Jack Allen. Uh, Why am I blanking on his name for the bills? Um, Allen for the bills or uh, Lamar Jackson for the Ravens. Mm-hmm. It's like the Willie Beeman prototype has been proven in the NFL now, which is kind of cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. It it did also have that sense. Like th- there is a little bit of like 90s um, charisma, you know, of um, just the ego on him and like him, like being in that music video and stuff like it, it felt of that era. But it also did feel ahead of its time and very modern just in it, it. Maybe it's just football specifically, but like the kind of athlete who like there, there's less um, focus on like tradition and like being like a certain way as a quarterback, you know, being like reserved and more of like showboating a little bit. It, it just felt very modern in a way that s- seems surprising for a 1999 release. Yeah. I think that's the thing that always jumps out to me about this movie is just how predictive it was about where things would be at, Uh, not just in the NFL, but kind of in the country as a whole. Um, It seemed Oliver Stone was just really like on it. And I guess John Logan helped write the screenplay too, which I don't know who John Logan is, but much respect to John Logan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, Rogue Gladiator. 
Oh, well, good on John Logan. <laughs> it went any Which, given Sunday to Gladiator. Yeah, um, th- this movie's basically Gladiator. Yeah, that's what I always say. I mean, it is funny that he has that whole sequence about gladiators, and then the next movie he did was... <laughs> Guy likes gladiators. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't, right? You know? Don't we There's all kind so... of... That's all I could think in that moment, because like, that scene was happening, and Lauren's like, do you know what movie this is? And I was like, Lauren, there were so many fucking like, gladiator movies. Like, It was a whole <laughs> genre at one point, and they made like, a fuck ton of them. Like, who knows what this movie is? Yeah, I, I'm... Imagine if it's on TV, it might be one of the more famous examples, but I also have no yeah. idea. I've never seen like Spartacus or Ben-Hur. I haven't either. I've never seen any of those movies. Huh. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's one that we have to talk about at some point. Maybe we just start a whole podcast with that theme. The Gladiators. Pretty much every other genre is covered. We could do it. <laughs> it's about time, I say. It's about time. What else did he... He wrote Alien Covenant. I'm a fan of this guy. Spectre. The I Aviator. I like Spectre. I've actually and never Skyfall. seen The Aviator. Hmm. Uh, I have it either, actually. Scorsese. That guy. Who's heard of that guy? <laughs> um, he also did Last Samurai. I've seen that, but it's been a long time. Yeah, I remember thinking it was better than I like feared it would be, but still also not like great. Hmm. Okay. Oh, and Sweeney Todd. Yeah, he's had quite the career. Yeah, he's done a ton of stuff. All well, those movies evoke a certain feel. Yeah. Good job. Okay. Any other talking points from this movie? No, it's nice to see Cameron Diaz getting such a full character. Like, she, I think she's awesome, um, and she really owns this role. So, that was nice. Yeah, I feel like she's always in like pretty good movies, but never really gets to be one of the best parts of the movie. I, I always think about like Gangs of New York, and I'm like, she should have gotten to do more, or been more, or just. It always felt like it was maybe a little like the character didn't get enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is still my favorite like role from her. Yeah, she was great. Nice mm. to see Dennis Quaid in another oh. sports movie. Did you uh, tear up during the the life is a game of inches speech? Uh, I didn't tear up, but I mean, very... It's, it's Pacino. Weirdly, we've watched a few Pacino movies lately. I'm like... The the main reason my wife wanted to watch this movie I was like I don't know Al Pacino's in it. She's like oh she's like all right I, I want to watch that and it's just so <laughs> funny to see him in this role like this is only a few years after he won the Academy Award like he he's in his prime yeah it's funny just the casualness the casualness with which he gives that speech but the honesty and the difference between his er- earlier speech where he's just kind of going through the motions <clears throat> and Beeman calls him out on it right. You've given, mm-hmm. I've heard that same speech, you know, a thousand times. And yep. then he finally is vulnerable with the players mm-hmm. and makes them feel something in a way that they had it, which is the payoff that everybody had been yelling at him about. Like, you've given up, you're not fighting anymore. Right. And so when he's finally honest about himself and honest to them, we see the way in which he connects with them. And that's cool. I love that speech. Yeah. 
I, I just don't know how Al Pacino has the energy to keep acting the way he does. Like, my God. <laughs> it's funny because in the movie, they make such a point about him being old. And it's like, <clears throat> that was 20... I know, 25. Five years ago. <laughs> Crazy. Was, so he's still acting in movies now? Even back then, I was like, I don't think I would have the energy to do any of this. I know. I know. Yet there he was. Yeah, yeah everybody's great right now. though. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you liked it, and I'm oh, glad yeah. that my like Travis barometer was correct in being like, "There's, there's no way that he does." Sometimes it's a little off, but today you did good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, should we rank them? Yeah. Um. So I have it in the very good category. Uh, it's pretty near movies we've done recently. Like it's a little above um, American Psycho. It's like in that region. It, it, but like American Psycho, I think it's the kind of movie where like I really, really liked it, and maybe with one more watch, it would kind of catapult into like the next category, like the movies I kind of view as like essential in my life. But it's not quite there for me yet. Um, so I have it. Where does it rank here? And where it's ranked too, like it's ranked amongst movies I really like. I have it ranked number one sixty two out of and i watched a lot of movies this weekend so i'm up to 556 movies <laughs> i was in a hotel room with my wife we spent a lot of time in the hotel room we had a little like mini vacation and we were just watching whatever was on hbo so um nice got a lot done movie wise i there was part of me i was like it won't but there was a part of me that was like would this could this actually end up just in travis's top 25 <laughs> i elements of it like again you know i it feels like magnolia to me and magnolia is one of my favorite movies ever like i could see that happening if it hits me at a specific beat in my life you know yeah um, but I, I still really loved it i have it at 162 above it are indiana jones and the temple of doom i love that movie uh then lionheart the john called van damme <laughs> I, was about to, I was about to say it's the John claude Van Damme movie where he enters a fighting tournament, but that describes like five of his movies, but it's one of those five movies. Um, I love that movie. It's probably my favorite JCVD movie. Then uh, Any Given Sunday, then Shadow of a Doubt, Hitchcock, that's good company, and then uh, Stop Making Sense, the, the Talking Heads concert movie that I watched recently in theaters and had an absolute joy watching <laughs> i did not expect to find a concert movie on this list <laughs> one of the best concert movies ever damn um i have any given sunday in the my favorites tier so it's a, a top tier movie for me yeah um and it's joined by <laughs> other movies like you know Past Lives, Fight Club, Bo is Afraid is in there, which I know isn't everybody's cup of tea, but that's um, one of my favorites. Man. I'm looking at Triangle of Sadness being in there, and I think I might bump Triangle of Sadness down. Okay. Show we've movie we've covered on the show. Yeah. So that's going down a tier to just the, uh, the wow category. Wow. A live shift in the rankings is exciting. I know. I know. I know. So Pardon? I currently have 20, 20 movies in my favorites. <clears throat> nice. Um, part of me wants, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sitting here picking it as our next movie or anything, but part of me wants to watch Bo's Afraid. 
uh, because <laughs> I found out everyone doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah, they hate it. <laughs> and I saw, I saw some article like it was so sad. Like Ari Aster just like sad people don't like his movie, <laughs> 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 which I was kind of like I kind of want to watch it now. Like you know, I, I think he he seems smart. He seems capable. I just haven't liked his movie so far. Uh, but maybe Bo's Afraid is good. I would love to rewatch Bo's Afraid. So if you do want to pick that, I'm down. It's not the next movie, but maybe down the line. Okay, okay. So what's the next one then? Well, you know, Dune Part 2 is coming out soon. And I'm feeling the Dune fever. So we are going to watch Dune. But no, not Denis Villeneuve's Dune. David Lynch's Dune. <laughs> okay, we're watching Lynch's Dune. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm very excited to do that because I actually I want to write about the movie, so I, I use this as an excuse to watch it. Um, and I I fully expect this to be a contentious episode, so I feel like it's been a while since we've had one of those, and that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, I've I've never seen it, so <laughs> we'll actually, have the inverse experience. I don't know if I don't know how you'll feel about it, but if I love it, I absolutely love this movie. So it's tough for me to hear like anything negative about it. <laughs> all right perfect i'm gonna <laughs> and i love the new dune so that's gonna be part of it even if i like it i'm gonna be like travis go for it i want what was it. this doing and you'll be like it's doing everything it should and i'm just gonna be like i don't know but it was cool <laughs> all right perfect um all right here we are at the end we're gonna do the thing that we always do at the end of a show right yeah, I'm yeah. ready. I'm, I'm, I need some enthusiasm for you from you about this part. <laughs> I dread it. <laughs> I know. I, I need you to fake it. All right, all right, all right. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Go team, go team, go right. team. Don't force it. All right, here we go. <laughs> Lights? Camera? See ya. See ya. Yeah. I don't, I don't know anymore. No, that was great. That was great. That was good. That was good.